It's late summer in the Oval, the place where elite Blacks come to vacation and the Coles are preparing for the wedding of their youngest daughter. It's the biggest event of the season. One person needs this wedding to happen. Two people question why it's happening. And one person is determined to stop it from happening. The book, The Wedding. The author, Dorothy West. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's Let's get get lit. listening to Lit Society, a podcast about books and drama. So Kari, tell me one thing you did fun this week and one thing you did for self-care. Okay. And before we go there, can I just say you look amazing. Listeners, if you don't know (laughs) or if you've forgotten, this is the first Thursday of the month. And that's me. That means you can watch our faces on YouTube. We're doing this live not We're really doing but... it live in person <laughs> and alexis looks great i Thank see you sharkeisha is taking a slow death <laughs> it is so sad but at least alexis look good now what did i do for fun you said wait, wait a minute <laughs> i cannot let you mention sharkeisha <laughs> without it put a coat on her she look cold Mm-mm. she is hanging on for a thread to a thread but i believe that was based on the harsh words that you used a month ago. And Fine. since then, she's been dropping a leaf ever since. Well, and do you water her, it. though? Do you she water? She does get water. She does get water. Okay, well, she's whatever. A- <laughs> and she is starting to come back slowly. You know, ain't everybody surely. ain't got a green thumb. Maybe you got a pink thumb. <laughs> I could have one, but that's not yeah. the point. I think okay. it was your words. Your mm. words. Mm-mm. So what I anyway, did I want to know how you did anyway. <laughs> I've I availed myself of the love of friends and um watched something really encouraging this weekend with friends. Not you, because you are real iffy about associating with folks and you like I to blame am, it I am. on the deltas and the alphas and the kappas. But that's <laughs> fine. Um and we went too. out to <laughs> I went to a restaurant, walked around, you know, summer's almost over. So whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And then, well, what about you? What did you do for fun? Um, I also took myself out to eat on Friday night and I had a joyous time and um, returned home at a late hour. Like I was just in the streets. But um, look at I, you, fun. But I was by myself, and I minded my business the whole time, masked up. So, okay, well, we see it wasn't about any <laughs> pandemic. You just didn't want to be around people, so that's you. That's fine. Did you ask me about self care? I know that's usually your thing. I did. I want to know about self care. So for self care, I stayed far, far away from Lollapalooza. <laughs> There are a million people downtown yeah. last weekend. There were a million people downtown and it just looked nasty. And then the rules <laughs> the don't make dread. any. <laughs> right. And then the, the rules this weekend changed where we now have to wear masks indoors, according to the city of Chicago, mm-hmm. um, including the train. However, there are thousands of people on the train for the music festival without masks. Right. So right. even though they're supposed no to be 
on the train with mask. Yeah, I don't know if you were ever supposed to not wear masks on the train, but yeah, it is what it is. What about you? What have you done for self-care? I washed my hair. <laughs> that's that's an all day thing. OK. <laughs> and it, it looks that. great. I love Thanks. the corkscrew curls. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, darling. Thank you. <laughs> I did my best. <laughs> Moving right along, each week we select a theme to discuss inspired by the book that we are reading. This week's theme, The First Black Vacation Resorts. <laughs> what? Yeah. Well, I, already know. I already know two people you're going to mention. The first is Tom Joyner. The second is uh, Tulum. <laughs> <laughs> what, no. what else? Oh, Sinbad. The Sin- Remember the Sinbad Festival? We used to watch when we was little. Go ahead. <laughs> no, let's get started. Okay, you great. know, after the enslavement of blacks ended, we know that didn't mean peace and prosperity for nobody, but blacks still wanted to enjoy themselves as well. Okay, so let's talk about the first black resort, Highland Beach, Maryland. Beginning in late 19th century, beaches for Blacks were established along the eastern coast of the United States. And as Blacks were not welcomed at the leisure spots frequented by white citizens, we had to create our own. So the first of those beaches was started by the son of Frederick Douglass, Charles, and his wife, Laurel. Laura, the couple were denied interest into a restaurant at the Bay Ridge Resort on Chesapeake Bay because of their blackness. Charles's response was to enter the real estate business and begin purchasing beachfront property directly south of Bay Ridge. They would go on to acquire about 40 acres for about $5,000. And he started developing the property as a summer resort community by selling lots to family and friends. Early purchases were made by prominent Black folks at the time that were senators, judges, governors, and others. Charles also started construction on a large family house, which he named Twin Oaks, and this became like the spot. Highland Beach was where the elite Black went, and this is where they just wanted peace and quiet and be able to get in the water and enjoy themselves without um, persecution. Yeah, you know, they didn't want no foolishness. Life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the house that Charles started for his father, his it was for his father to retire in, but he um Frederick Douglass died before the house was finished. And Twin Oaks is now the home of the Frederick Douglass Museum and Cultural Center. Highland Beach became the hangout of the elite black, as I mentioned. And when Charles died in 1920, his son took over and had the land incorporated. And Highland Beach was the first black incorporated municipality in Maryland's history. Today, Highland Beach is entirely residential and is for the black elite. And many who live there are direct descendants of the original settlers. Highland Beach covers just under a mile of land and hosts about 60 homes and has about a thousand residents. Have you heard of it before? I feel like we said once that Colson Whitehead used to vacation there with his family. I could be wrong, but it was oh. something like that. Oh, I, oh, I don't remember that. Another uh, resort not far <clears throat> is uh, Cars and Sparrows Beaches. 
and that's in Maryland. And this beach was open to more middle class working blacks, primarily from Baltimore and D.C. The land was inherited by Elizabeth Carr Smith and Florence Carr Sparrow, whose family first purchased the 180 acres as farmland in 1902. The beach was founded in 1931. The beaches operated as separate entities, but were side by side and run by the two women. During the day, the YMCA hosted camps for children and swimming lessons. In the evening, the beach came alive. They hosted well-attended, exciting events, including beauty contests, weekly radio station broadcasts that featured the hottest artists of the times. They had dance competitions and visitors from as far as New York and Pennsylvania. And eventually the beaches were on the um, stop for the Chitlin circuit. And despite being foundationally black, the beach eventually grew as an interracial uh, crowd. We can't have nothing. (laughs) (laughs) But when you read about the car beaches, I'm telling you, it's like they was just jamming. It was like fun because all the big musicians would come through there. It was like a party all summer long. When the Civil Rights Act of 1964 made segregation illegal, people wanted to go to the other beaches where um, they were kept out from before. And this led to a decline in visitors. And the Carr Beach is no more. It's now a luxury condo resort in that space. Another one is uh, Atlantic Beach in South Carolina. Is nicknamed the Black Pearl, and it was founded in 1930, again, as a safe place for Black community members to swim, fish, and dance. Um, (laughs) It became a municipality in 1966. The foundation of Atlantic Beach and the surrounding sea islands was by Gullah Geechee people. Are you familiar with who they are? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, so... The Gullah people took over the land of their former masters and made it their own after the Emancipation Proclamation. Today, the Gullah Geechee's still live in pockets throughout the Carolinas, Georgia, and Florida, where they practice their unique culture and speak their own language and live life um, connected to their indigenous roots. The nickname that was given this Atlantic beach is the Black Pearl. And that because that's because it reflects the crowds that it drew after it was established as a vacation hub for the primarily wealthy physicians from North Carolina and South Carolina in the 40s and 50s. Like the cars and the sparrows, visitation declined after the end of Jim Crow. But that place still exists. Um what I call it, Atlantic Beach. Mm-hmm. That place still exists. Um, at, they started an Afro festival back in 1990. They have What's a, the name um, of the fest, do you know? Afro Fest. Oh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a, a annual biker, Black Biker Fest there, and um, something that celebrates the Gullah Geechee people, an annual festival there. So that's still... Um, uh, a black spot to be. The next place. A black spot to be. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, cool. <laughs> <laughs> the next place is Oak Bluffs. Do you know where that is? No, not at all. Martha's Vineyard. Oh, oh. 
Yeah, African-American residents in Martha's Vineyard began in Oak Bluff's neighborhood um, as a cottage. Charles Shearer, formerly enslaved, was rescued by Union soldiers during the Civil War, and he was found chained up in a barn by his master who had abandoned him there. Charles went on to attend Hampton University, a historically black college, a black university, excuse me, in Virginia, and saw a business opportunity when he realized that black residents in Martha's Vineyard weren't allowed to rent homes there during segregation. So he purchased and opened a small inn called Shearer Cottage in 1912, which he opened to any African-Americans wanting to visit the area who couldn't find lodging elsewhere. Its first guests were Black Brahim. You heard of that before? No. mm -mm. Black Brahim, I hope I'm saying it right. It's like Abraham without the Abraham without the A. So Black Brahim, elite Black families with deep roots in Boston. That's who they are. And other guests such as artists, judges, lawyers, principals of school, you name it. Some loved it so much they decided to settle there. One such person is our author, Dorothy West. And finally, there is Sag Harbor, New York. Just after World War II, say it slowly, <laughs> get it right, homes were sold to working class African-American families for just a few hundred dollars in Sag Harbor, New York. Today, its beachfront property is quiet, affluent neighborhood, has soared to tens of millions of dollars and holds some of the nation's wealthiest African-American residents. It's near... Um, Beaches called the Nineveh and Azurist, um, and they were the first African-American developments in the Hamptons. And they're now um, carry a reputation of glitz and glamour on New York's Long Island. Is it still predominantly right. um, black, yeah. black and brown people who, OK, yeah. they vacation there or they live there now, you said? I think they live there. Um, many of the homeowners in Sag Harbor are still African-American or um but gentrification is coming through. Um, and so they're selling these houses. They're restoring them. I saw a house they're now selling for $55 million. And I, I know th the people, of course, aren't responding well to this um, change, but sure. that's what's happening. So mm -hmm. that's it. These are black vacation spots be before black people, um, before the end of segregation. And they, they was popping, especially mm -hmm. the cars. Cars was So that's popping. how I was going to ask, which one would you, do you wish you would have been cars, able to, yeah, cars, obviously. Because it sounds I like a cook, all up in there. It sounds like a classy <laughs> cookout. And I always want my cookouts to be a little classier than they are. Cookouts are great. You know, it's your family, kids running around, water balloon fights. But I would love to like get dressed up and have a cookout. And I know some oh. like really classy families do that. I just... You know, don't have those families in my life. I have the like barbecue <laughs> cooking, laughing, slapping knee type of families, which is great. They're wonderful and they're wonderful. But I would like to go to one bougie cookout. Well, which one would you go? Because definitely Highland Beach is bougie. You could have went no, there. No, I would have been with you at the cars thing. I think that was, that sounds great. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I'm looking at these pictures of the uh, car 
resort. And I was like, I want to be right yeah. in there with them. And everyone wants to show off their cars. They probably have amazing cars. And you know how we do with cars. Stop it. Mm-hmm. Oh, it sounds like fun. Yeah. It was fun. Anyway, so that is um, places Black folks could visit back in the day and have them a good old time. And of course, this was limited to the um, elite. Yeah, Mm -hmm. elite and middle class people that could afford to go out and, you know, splurge on their family and then vacation. So let's take a quick break before we jump into the author and context. All right. Sounds good. I can. And I love how fired up you were about the theme going back in time, (laughs) reliving that. I love it. Um, So, yeah, about Dorothy West, she was born June 2nd, 1907 in Boston, Massachusetts, part of the Harlem Renaissance. She was. So for those that don't know, the Harlem Renaissance was one of America's greatest periods of like intellectual and cultural activity. At its center were Black Americans filling Harlem neighborhoods um, of New York City with their art, their writing. Um, a lot of things went down. Science. Um, famous names inclu- in this era include Langston Hughes, Zora Neale Hurston. Um, even Josephine Baker, by way of Paris, is considered part of this movement. Mm-hmm. And of course, mm-hmm. our writer who we're featuring today, Dorothy West. Did you know a lot about Dorothy before we read this book? Not at all. Had you known Langston Hughes? Yes. Zora Neale Hurston? Yes. Josephine Baker? Yes. So why we don't hear so much about Dorothy West, I'm not sure. Um, but she is a prolific writer. Her father was born a slave, but when free became a successful businessman, her parents raised her to think um, like to think high and move forward, I'll say. Um, late in life, she wrote, that in um, Boston, Blacks were taught very young to take the white man in stride or drown in their own despair. So basically, mm-hmm. you can understand the way the world works, do your best, or you can just, you know, drop dead. Mm. She detailed how her mother guided her and her many cousins, all with varied skin tones, into this, you know, inhospitable world. And um, she's quoted in the Washington Post as saying, and I'll quote her now, we were always stared at. Whenever we went outside the neighborhood that knew us, we were inspected like specimens under glass. My mother prepared us. As she marched us down our front stairs, she would say what <laughs> she would say what our smiles were on tiptoe to hear. Come on, children, let's go out and drive the white folks crazy. <laughs> She said it without rancor and she said it in that outrageous way to make us laugh. She was easing our entry into a world that outranked and outnumbered us. If she could not help us see ourselves with the humor, however wry, that gives the heart its grace, she would never have forgiven herself for letting our spirits be crushed before we had learned to sheathe them with pride. Who speaks Mm. like that? Who writes like this? So... Um, excuse me. Dorothy West then moved to Harlem with her cousin, who was a poet, and wrote um, profiles, short stories, even founded a magazine during the Great Depression. And then later, as you mentioned, she spent four decades in Martha's Vineyard um, writing a, for a small newspaper. And her supporters and colleagues include Jackie O. 
Jackie Onassis. And the latter encouraged West to um, write her final novel at the age of 85 years old. That is the book we're reading today. Mm-hmm. At her death, she was one of the last surviving members of the Harlem Renaissance. And when asked what she wanted her legacy to be, she responded that I hung in there, that I didn't say I can't. Mm. End quote. And I love that. That too. So that's all I have about Mrs. West. What about you? Oh, I have some gossip too, but I'll let you go. Oh, first. okay. I don't know because mine's is gossipy too. Is that the proposal? Yes. <laughs> We're trash. Go ahead. What you? Eyebrows <laughs> went so, up. To- and I was like, yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Somebody proposed to her. I don't remember who that is. Yeah, because their dad was like, you kind of acting oh, a little yeah. soft. So I want you to, you know. So basically, the dad thought the son didn't like women. So he wanted him to marry a woman because that's how right. that works. So, <laughs> so yeah. yeah. And then there was another proposal. Oh, so, so, the, then- so the guy just to finish that, go ahead. Proposed yeah, to yeah. Dorothy. He proposed to Dorothy. Dorothy declined. Okay. She declined. Mm hmm. But she wrote her letter and proposed to guess who, Kari? Langston Hughes. And proposed, girl. And proposed. (laughs) And what did he say, Kari? I'm going to pass. You great. You just not great for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The tea. Yeah. The tea. Yeah. That was she lived a rich life. I mean, but to have to be able to say, like, I proposed once to Langston Hughes. Yeah. And then I would just say on a dare to make it like <laughs> to add that. Yeah, yeah. My yeah, friend yeah, said no, go on and do that. I wasn't even serious. He thought yeah, I was no, serious. I was he crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> that happened though. <laughs> I love it. Thank you for sharing that information about Dorothy West. Appreciate it. Why don't you give us a brief synopsis without spoilers before our deep dive? Sure, I'll do my best. So there's death in the air. Even though this summer on the island of Martha's Vineyard, a wealthy upper class black American beauty is planning her wedding to a white jazz musician of little means. Her eagerness to pursue a new life with one outside of her class and race forces everyone in her family to face their fears and insecurities and drives one man to desperation as he vows to um, take the soon to be bride for himself within 24 hours. Within just one day, secrets are unloaded, hearts are broken. Will the former sins bring new woes to the families, both elevated and captivated by their past? By the end of summer, will they stand before an altar or a casket instead of a wedding? Oh, so anyway, Alexis, um, uh, what were your first thoughts of the wedding? You know, I didn't really have no thoughts. I was like, a wedding. Okay, this should be fun to read. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't really have nothing. And then you, Kari, who do you think would enjoy reading this book? Um, I think if you love learning about American history in a fictional world context, also if you love expert world building, this is a master class in world building, which is a skill that I usually associate with fantasy writing. Um, okay. So for this to be, what is this? Is this a romance? Or an anti-romance? I would not say it's a romance. For this to be a fictional anti-romance, she didn't created a new <laughs> drama, uh, genre. Um, uh-huh. I love the the 
the expert world building that's going on here. So if you're into that, into character driven stories, you will love this yeah. book. Okay. <laughs> You've said a mouthful. I love the brief synopsis. So why don't we just get into it and you can spill, spill, spill the spoilers. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to um, set up the book. And then I thought we could just talk about the characters because they're what what's driving this story. Yes, please set it up. Let's hear it. <laughs> and I'm going to rely on you heavily because I'm so prepared for this episode. Oh, so, <laughs> no, don't do me. OK, <laughs> so, so part one, what child, you know, can't play the piano. <laughs> this is taken from one of my favorite quotes in the book. <laughs> so it's summertime in the Oval. And Alexis, can you please describe Ovalites who, while I was reading this book, I kept thinking in my mind, Oval Teens. Can you please describe <laughs> the Oval Team? Um, uh, elite doctors. It's kind of like the um the summer resorts that I described. They're the same people. The elite class, uh, not no, not so much middle class, but the elite class of black people. They were doctors, lawyers, and in this particular family, lots of doctors. And again, light and bright. Yeah, light, bright, almost white. And um, there's still colorism at this time. Mm -hmm. And by this time, I mean 2021. So, of course, in the Oval, <laughs> at that time, there was colorism. Um, so these people are wealthy and they come from long money as far as Black Americans oh. are concerned. Mm -hmm. So that long money for Black Americans might mean just, a, you know, 50 years, 60 years of earned wealth. And that's what these people um, come from. A lot of them have family who, once they were um, free of the burden of slavery, worked to become businessmen, businesswomen in their own right. And I love businessmen and businesswomen. Have you um, mm -hmm. seen High on the Hog on Netflix? I, I watched the beginning, the first episode of that. I didn't get to the next ones. Yeah. I still have to watch it. Um, but it brought, it came to my mind because one of the main um matriarchs in the story um she like started a business free from just like she was made free and then she started a cooking business and was very successful and mm -hmm. i just love that those stories um the fictional stories in this book are borrowed from real people um mm -hmm. so i love that so that was the oval it was this community as alexis described of upper class blacks and they were on this island which was martha's vineyard right the yeah, island Martha's Vineyard mm -hmm. uh, with mostly white people, of course, but they had their own corner of it. And how mm. <clears throat> how this became like the colored corner of Martha's Vineyard um, is so interesting to hear about. And it came about in a way that no one could have expected, neither the white people nor the black people who visit the island every summer. Of the respected and honorable in this vacation town is Addie. And Addie's an old lady. She is a character in hindsight. You're like, she didn't need to be there. But she adds color because <laughs> um, as an old lady, she's old enough to be dealing with a sometime, sometimey heart. Her heart be like, I don't want to work today. And then it just might not. <laughs> so that's Addie. And she's been living on borrowed time in hopes that she'd be able to see a child of the oval, that upper class mm. black community, wed on the island. Yes. And that child was supposed to be Liz. 
the eldest daughter of the Oval's most prestigious family, the Coles. The Cole family have good breeding. All the men are doctors, Harvard educated, and all the women college educated. They are black royalty who made their way in mud and rose to be both admirable and aspirational. The patriarch could pass for white. And that for them is for some of them is like a sign of honor. Like, oh, look how white he look. Um, Mm -hmm. Coming from a multiracial father who was the son of a former slave turned preacher um, whose life had seen too much death. Um, That's him. So um, Mrs. Cole, on the other hand, too, was multiracial. In fact, her former slave owning white grandmother lived with the family. So you have all of these black people, some Mm -hmm. light, some bright, some brown. And even within the oval, um, some darker skinned. You also have a white woman who was born when the South was a Confederate or was she born during the Confederacy? She was just born into um, an antebellum South. Yes. And like her punishment from God is to live in this house with black people that she must call family. (laughs) Now. She is a study in juxtaposition because she uh, loves her family as much as she can love them. She does. (laughs) Okay. She is a lot of things. She's a racist. She's hateful. Um, She can't believe that all this good white land went to these cannibals. Um, And that's the great grandmother in the house with these black people, which to me is the makings of a comedy. Um, And she is spending her final days, like we said, in disbelief at how brown the world has become. Mm -hmm. Their eldest daughter, the Cole's eldest daughter, the one whose wedding Addie had her weak heart set on attending, eloped (laughs) with a dark skinned doctor who only Mm -hmm. tolerates her. (laughs) So there's a lot of characters there, but. If you haven't read this book yet, which is none of you guys, you've all read it, but some of you maybe haven't read it. So just remember the Coles. You can actually forget about Addie because she is a uh, vessel that we are using to progress the plot in this book. Mm -hmm. So all of Addie's dreams of attending a wedding in the Oval were put into Shelby, the Coles' youngest and last daughter. So the Coles, that um, couple that's on the top of the social ladder or whatever, in yeah. the Oval, they got two girls, one Liz. She ran away and married a dark-skinned man, a doctor who can't really stand her, kind of really. And then the <laughs> second <laughs> mm-hmm. is the youngest girl named Shelby, and she's marrying a white man that plays white jazz. Man. <laughs> okay. Um, so Fair people enough. like, oh, these girls. Oh, my goodness. Um, so... That is why the family grinned and bared it, though, when Shelby brought home not just a white man who the racist great grandmother actually saw as a glimmer of hope. (laughs) Like, oh, there's a line in here I want to read because the grandmama is like, um, oh, okay, I got so many tabs in this book, y'all. Also, I'm going to just read some things directly from the book. I want to read this to you. And now Graham, the great grandmother, and I'm quoting, was 98 wanting a hand to cling to herself, wanting Shelby's hand because it was being joined in marriage with a true white one. And that union in the time of generations would return to its origination, the colored blood drained out degree by degree until none was left, either known or remembered. 
Wow. So if you're not understanding, the great grandmother is so happy that Shelby's marrying a white man because eventually um, their blood will be clean of the brown. That's what she think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're going to ignore that he's of low class, a jazz musician. And the mother says in what is one of my favorite lines from the book, <laughs> what child do you know who can't play the piano? It's a thing, right? Yeah, they're upper class people. They're like, everybody can play the piano. That's your living? What you do for work? (laughs) Sadly, when the summer came for Shelby's wedding, Addie could not make it. That's all she wanted. And when the time came, she was too sick. Um, She was too sick and drowning in medical bills, in fact, to even uphold the Oval's covenant. So these people that lived in the Oval with these Um, sprawling vacation homes, these beautiful estates could rent out their property. Maybe that summer they didn't want to go to the Oval. Maybe they were vacationing in Europe. They could rent out their home to someone else. But the agreement of the neighborhood was that whoever you rented it out to had to be of good breeding, a good type of person. And that's not about the amount of money they have. That's about like how did they make their money? Who were their parents? Things like that. Addie was so much in debt, she did not care. And she rented it out to a very wealthy man Name Loot, short for Luther. Loot. Okay, so it's the mm-hmm. summer of Shelby's wedding and Loot is next door, whoever that is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Part two, women play the flute, Loot plays the women. <laughs> so, <laughs> I would like to discuss Loot. Mm-hmm. Now, Luther, known as Loot, has three girls, Barbie, Tina, Marie. <laughs> These girls have three different mothers. These moms include She's ahead of her time. <laughs> Who? <laughs> Dorothy. Writing about uh, men with oh three different babies. Yes, moms. Dorothy West was ahead of her time. So this man is taking care of three children he loves. Um, they each have a different mother. The young the oldest girl's mother was like, it sounds like a young girl like really young when he got with her um and eventually she became a prostitute and died yeah and he treated her very very badly throughout that marriage she was like a distraction for him just something to do but then when she got pregnant he didn't want his children to know a life without their father so he married her but he never loved her or cared for her um the second was a polish um immigrant um, who followed him because she was in love with him. He was really mean to her, beat her up a lot, sent her back to her family. And the last was a woman named Della. Now, Lute looks like Idris Elba, okay? And all of these women, all the girls' mothers are white women. During this time, that's scandalous. It's scandalous to have three ex-wives. You legally married yeah, three women. Married all of them. Yeah, and at this point in the book, we're like, you married three times and you got divorced three times. Yeah. Um, and you got these beautiful girls who don't know what it's like to have a mother. And the middle girl, Tina, fantasizes about having a mom. So when they infiltrate the Oval neighborhood, <laughs> Tina spends a lot of time with the brown mom next door. And I know, you know, she's getting a lot of hugs. And then pillowy breasts and a lot of um, (laughs) good cooking and a lot of bellowing laughs. 
Mm-hmm. And she's like, is this what a mom's like? Because all the moms I know just cry. And then they cry so much that dad has to hit them. These girls are traumatized. They don't they, they don't even really know it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so she's like, if this one is what a mom's like, I want one of these. <laughs> I want one just like this one. In fact, yeah. I want this one. Yeah, I don't want one of these. I want this woman to be my mom. And um, she like falls in love with the mom next door and is like, maybe my dad will marry you next because he likes getting married. <laughs> um, <laughs> so let's talk Poor about baby. how Luke. <laughs> let's talk about how Luke got his money. Do you remember Alexis? Uh, no, he's a. I know he's like a carpenter. He builds homes, right? Furniture. He's Furniture. Mm hmm. Yeah, so that's how he got really, really, really rich. He's and really um, let's talk about how he got his pride. Women mm-hmm. love him. It's indisputable. <laughs> he um, has white ex-wives and black ex-mistresses. Um, so all races of women love this man. But he probably hates women he in his heart. hates women. Yeah. Not probably. He does. He is a woman hater. And why is that, Alexis, do you because think? Because his mom, his mom didn't want him, it sounds like. And passed him on to showing, friends. Yeah. Those friends passed him on to other friends until he became a ward of the state. Mm-hmm. Um, and he grew up with this internal trauma. Um, and yeah, he he hates women. And it shows in the way that he treats these girls' mothers or treated these mothers before he drove them away. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some really soul-crushing scenes where the mother, especially the second mom, doesn't want to leave her child. Mm-hmm. Um, because the but first she also died, can't but... really take them with her. Not a colored child. These Mm-mm. children are mixed. They're of mixed race and born in secret. So you can't bring them back to your family. Yeah. Um, so you can't also go back. And bring this um, mixed race child with you. Yeah, everyone will know the secrets you've been hiding all these years. Mm-hmm. And that that is a fate worse than death um, to these women. So, yeah. Lute probably hates himself, too. Yeah. Um, he has so much disgust, like, for the world. And, yeah, he works hard. He acts like a very prideful man. But those are usually the ones that inside are, like, really uh, distraught. And self, lo- oh. self swimming in self-loathing yeah he is he ugh. he's got some issues he needs psych he needs therapy mm-hmm. but luke loves tina he loves his middle daughter more than anything and he's one mm-hmm. of those parents that's like i love all my children sure but i love my middle girl the mm-hmm. most so um, when we meet him, he's sitting on the stairs braiding their hair, mm-hmm. which is a really cute scene, how they all mm-hmm. line up next to him and he's joking around with him, really kind to his children. And when Tina looks at him, his heart just melts. The middle girl has all of his feelings wrapped up in her eyes. Um, so Barbie, who's the oldest, has kind of um, resigned herself to the fact that you don't want a mom because moms cry and they scream and they create violence and our home is more peaceful and we don't have one. It's really sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tina, um, she notices is always like talking about how great a mom would be. And, you know, you better not say that or dad might hit you because he hits girls that cry. Yeah. Yeah. So um, like. Lute is determined when we meet him to get Shelby into his home and bed as his wife. Why? To spite her and her community. <laughs> um, he's a social climber. 
<laughs> it's yeah. sick. Yeah, he's a psychopath. So he's a social climber and he's sick of being second class to his white wives, especially the um, most recent wife mm-hmm. who is well-bred and like flaunts her superiority. Um, he wants an upper class black wife who I think he can bring down below his level and he can do that openly and proudly. He doesn't have to use the back door at the friends' houses and things like that anymore. So how did he meet Shelby? Um, He came in town, visited a jazz club and just as a friendly um, deal, the jazz club was allowing Shelby's fiance to perform the piano with his band. He is the only white performer in an all black jazz band. Mm -hmm. And I think this type of situation um, is like threatening to loot. Like he feels well, he he says openly, what in the world would a white man have that I don't? <laughs> so I'm obviously going to take his soon to be white. I'm taking his fiance. <laughs> I'm going to have all her money. And it's not about the money. It's about the class. Right. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. marry up in class and um, she will be the mom that my little girls need. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be great. He just decides this. Mm-hmm. That's so weird. Part three. Color is a false distinction. Love is not. So I thought we could go through the family tree and explain the following. Number one, how each person is related to Shelby. Number two, what their biggest fears are in life. Number three, what their greatest joys are in life. Four, how they found their mate. And lastly, what secrets they are hiding. So let's start with Shelby's dad. Shelby's dad's name is Clark. Okay, Clark, um, if you go way back in Clark. So um, it's so nice because um, there's a family tree in this book and I needed it. I started making my own. Like a picture? (laughs) Do you have the physical book? No, no. I I have a Kindle. And it's not in the Kindle? I didn't see it. Yeah, you need it. You need it in this book. So let's see. That's his dad, grandfather, great grandfather. Okay. So the dad, Clark, his great grandfather was a white slave owner named Old Sir, who fell in quote unquote love with his slave, a very dark skinned woman, uh, to the point that when the woman died, the white man just went to her grave, laid down, and he died too (laughs) in a matter of three days. Mm -hmm. Uh, He fell and slipped into a coma and died. He left to their child. Um, not everything, but a home and some land. Yeah. That butternut woman, as the book describes her, married a preacher and the preacher, um, was born into slavery, freed, uh, and like, um, a bunch of his siblings died of disease. Mm -hmm. His parents, I don't think made, he was alone in the world. Yeah. And he had a love for the Bible. So he decided to become a preacher. He also had a love for literacy. And he decided that any children he had would go to school, get an education and heal in a different way. So he saw himself as a healer, as he could um, touch people's hearts and heal them. But he wanted his son to be a physical healer, a doctor. And that son was Isaac. Isaac married a school teacher and just describing their uh, relationship briefly. Actually, uh, what do you think about their relationship? What do you have to say about Isaac and the school teacher? 
Isaac married the school teacher. I'm trying to trying to figure out where this is. I actually read this book. You know, I finished it last week. Yeah, you're like, you finished this a long time ago. So Isaac was the one who was basically married to his job. He had this beautiful wife, um, but he didn't have any like romantic passion for her. Not because she wasn't beautiful, not because he didn't love her, because he never thought of those things. He was a doctor and his His friends told him you need a wife. And he was like, "Mm, I guess that I guess that makes sense. I guess I get one. That's him, right? Yes. (laughs) And he was like, well, this is great because my food is ready when I get home. I don't have to work all day and then find a way to eat. And then like the house is clean. This is fantastic. Yes. Yes. And he wasn't even a doctor for the money because he would spend all his time in the poor black areas. Yes. Helping sick people who couldn't even really pay him. But they kept money. And his wife was um, part of these like group charity groups. Yeah. She started having these parties just to be a socialite. And she was like, how can I make the people that come to these parties pay for them? <laughs> she was a businesswoman. She was a businesswoman. She- and she what she did was... um. You know, she didn't have an intimate relationship with her husband. So Mm -hmm. she was like, I need to do something. And that's the parties. And then she's bought property. She bought property and she was like, she wasn't going to sit around and be sad that her mm -hmm. husband didn't want her in that way. She wanted to do something meaningful with her time. So she started these charity events because then people would pay to come and she could pay for all the cost of the party and then donate the rest to the people who lived in her slums. She was a slumlord. (laughs) She was a slumlord. Why she got to do that? But well, that's what she, she did. never even thought about not being a slumlord. It just was a good investment. This property didn't need to be renovated because they wouldn't complain. As long as they had toilets inside the house, mm-hmm. she figured they were impressed. I, and I also I think she had an intention to do it. But when the people appreciated for what it was at its basic, not renovated, she was like, I mean, I could save money by (laughs) I could just do that. So, yeah. So it was all financial for her initially. But then this like white charity organization, white women wanted to bring her in to show that they were, quote unquote, diverse. Man, it's just like today. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, she impressed them. So she joined the organization and her role was to go into the black communities and speak to them to see what they needed so that her organization could say that they helped them. So for the first time, she went to her properties with a pen and paper and was like, uh, what's on y'all mind? And, and they told her. day. So she thought she maybe come for like an hour and then come tomorrow. Once the people who lived in those properties found out that someone was there to talk to them, to just listen, to listen. it was like a line up to her chair. People who just wanted to talk, to talk about the people that came before them that died, um, everything they left behind in the South, what they were up against in the North, how they were dying, why they were dying, what they were leaving behind, their children, how they didn't have enough, how they missed the South. They hated the racism, but the South was beautiful and the North wasn't. And it was foreign. It was like going to Mm -hmm. a foreign land. Anyway, they were in desperate plight. not entirely uh and she wasn't entirely without guilt for that so taking in all those stories and her role in them she went home and just cried 
Yeah. This for me is the one of the most interesting interchanges in the book. Her husband hears her crying mm-hmm. and he approaches her bedroom door because they got separate bedrooms. Yeah. Um, like he would approach a sick woman. It was the mm-hmm. first time he 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 could take the love he had for the people he helped and apply it to his wife. They spend a night of passion together and he immediately dies. <laughs> she woke up like, am I dead? I feel like it's death somewhere. <laughs> she woke it up not like funny, that. y'all. That's There's... not funny, but she woke up like, ooh, it's just ooh, cold. Like, it's cold. Death. <laughs> but no, it ain't cold to birds outside. Oh, my husband did. <laughs> I get it. Um, <laughs> but this is the perfect That's way for them to like. insane. <laughs> I was like, well, what? who did her husband was dead. Her husband woke up dead, and her one of her first thoughts is, "Will his son be mad that he wasn't around? Because mm. he was always helping the poor." And she goes to sleep um, after spending this wonderful night with her husband, thinking about the people, how she's going to help them. She's going to change. She's yeah. got a lot she's going to do. This, and she do it. Mm-hmm. So um, her son is named uh, Clark. And Clark is light, bright, and nearly white. Um, Clark falls in love with a very brown, dark-skinned woman who is named Sabina. And he has a line that he repeats twice. What is it? <laughs> there's, no, there's no beauty like a dark-skinned woman when she's really beautiful. Oh, yeah, he does say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he says that a couple of times about Sabina. She is soft and malleable and intelligent and meek. And she is unmatched as far as a woman is concerned. Mm-hmm. But there's a woman named Corinne whose father is the president of a university or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's unmatched for a wife. So he falls in love with Sabina and he marries Corinne. Seems mm-hmm. like the right thing to do. Also, a racist grandma approves. Oh, I'm just going to call her racist grandma. That's now, a good name for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So racist mm-hmm. grandma gets Clark in a room alone and is like, y'all been to a couple parties. Are you going to marry my daughter? And he's <laughs> like, he's like, how can I tell this woman her daughter is boring? <laughs> <laughs> um, so he goes, I don't think she'd have me. Right. And racist grandma is like, nonsense. Um, y'all getting married, right? Yes, yes. And he's like, no, yes, no, yes, 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 yes. yes. And then yes. they're both saying yes. And he's like, okay, I mean, fine. I'm like 28. I mean, okay. Might as well. Sure, why not? Sure. So he breaks Sabina's heart, doesn't give her an explanation, and marries Corinne. Listen. Mm. He too is a doctor, like his father. And he hires a woman who reminds him of Sabina. He says he didn't even know she reminded him of Sabina. <laughs> <laughs> and they carry on an affair for 20 years Alexis 20? 20 20 years years yeah at least 20 years 20 so years. that's Shelby's dad now let's talk about Shelby's mom right off the bat she knows about the affair she doesn't care she has her own affairs let's get the money that's Corinne. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Corinne really, really, really is really, 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 really attracted to dark skinned men, but she won't marry him because she's got this light, bright, and nearly white husband. And she's a colorist because she was raised by racist grandma. Yes. And adopted a lot of racist grandma's views. Mm-hmm. Um, 
including the self-hating ones. So she, in secret, spends all her time with dark-skinned boys. But Corrine knew from past experience that Rachel's first wave of sympathy and concern would quickly abate and that her next thought would be fueled by her resentment that in her ripe and willing womb, no seed had ever been allowed to germinate. In keeping with Clark's code that no one of his blood would ever have a child they had to hide. She, who would have given Clark the ultimate manifestation of love, was forced to wash her children away, while Corrine, whose womb had been made safe for self-indulgence with the men who were dark enough to excite her, could never replace a lost child for a living one or bear the son for Clark that lived its useless hour in Rachel's loins. It was true that in the nighttime of love, Corrine desired and was possessed by the very darkness that repelled her in the day. Her repulsion was grounded in the suspicion that given her forebearers, only chance had given her the proper fair color. Chance had smiled again and given her two daughters in her likeness, but Hannibal's half of her makeup still had to be heard from and the chance of that pattern continuing unbroken was too slight for her to risk a third try at bearing Clark a son. Her fear that she might reject her child as Josephine had rejected her was too deeply rooted in her psyche for her to drag it up to the surface and ignore the consequences. Okay. And actually, Clark knew that about her. Did he? Yes, he knew that. He knew that about her. That's why he didn't think she was interested in she oh, knew no, she you're wasn't absolutely interested right. in him. Before they were married, when they would go to this party, these parties, she would only dance with the dark skin mm-hmm. men. Um, and he was like, okay, she like dark skin men. I don't even like her like that. But exactly. he was like, mm, but she like perfect as a wife when you take out her. So I'll marry her. <laughs> um, and she still like dark skin men. He's mm-hmm. still in love with Sabina, trying to replace her with the secretary named Rachel. So let's move on to Corinne. Corinne's ancestors, Colonel Lance Shelby, fought for like the Confederacy, staunch racist slave owner. Um, Graham is like, um, Graham, by the way, is the daughter of Colonel Lance Shelby. And see, Shelby gets her name from her great great grandfather, the slave owner. It's a mess. Um, Graham is like, these slaves loved us. They loved us. They didn't even want freedom. Freedom was thrust upon them. And now look at them. Living with me. (laughs) She could not stop reminiscing about the past. About she romanticized yes. the she would have loved Gone with the Wind. Loved it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Read it 50 times on the movie. Mm-hmm. She would have loved uh Lady A. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the point is Grace's grandma really, really, really loved owning slaves, and she really loved Antebellum South. It loved was like it. their own um uh what do you call it? Like regal class. And she was part of it. And it yeah. was fantastic. And the slaves, you know, bless them. They so ignorant. They don't know nothing about freedom. <clears throat> then they got to be free. That's so sad. <laughs> and the irony is, no, now black people are free. And you, grandma, all your family left are black. <laughs> because. <laughs> oh, tell this story. Tell it, sis. <laughs> so Graham had this daughter, right? Graham's husband died. 
And the daughter's name was Josephine. She was like nothing to write home about. She was nice or whatever, but she was like getting sick a lot because they couldn't eat. Because, and this is true, a lot of these um, plantation owners, once slavery ended, had no idea what to do with themselves. And they just dipped into poverty to the point where uh, women would fade in the street from hunger. That was like normal. (laughs) Um, So yeah, Graham and her daughter, Josephine, are going hungry, but they have their class to cling to. So they still see themselves as better than the poor whites. Um, So Josephine is like... starving! They're starving to death, okay? But they have class. They have the class. Um, And they look down on white people all day. All day, all they think about is how they're so much better than the white people around them who came from the North and work. And they're starving. And they're starving to death. Um, But then time, like, just keep on passing. And once you think you're better than everybody, there ain't nobody for you to marry. So Josephine is like, oh, no, I'm 37. (laughs) I'm unmarried. I'm unmarried and without child. Well, this um, there was a slave that was free. She didn't feel like freedom was thrust upon her. But her first thought was, um, I wonder if Massa will let me go to school now that I'm free. You know how sad that thought is as a child. Mm. She had only known slavery and now she heard she was free. Oh, my goodness. I really hope Massa lets me go to school. Um, so it turns out there was no Massa, of course, and her parents didn't see what schooling would be like for. So they told her, no, but you can like cook. <laughs> mm-hmm. She was like, great, I'm gonna do it to death. And she became really wealthy. <laughs> she had a son named him Hannibal. And Hannibal seems like a very sweet man, um, very intelligent, loved his mama. His mother sent him to school up north. She died. He became a successful professor um, and he thought back to a girl he knew in the South named Josephine. That's right. 38 year old fainting Josephine. Hannibal is like, well, I'm going to write to that girl. I know she white, but I'll marry her. I really like her. And her mom. Go ahead. He fell in love with her because of the stories that racist grandma would tell about <laughs> Slavery. I was going to glance over this part. However, I'll just tell y'all just between us. Hannibal's kind of like a mess because <laughs> he was like driving Miss Daisy. Miss Daisy is racist grandma. Yes. And he would drive her in a carriage through the old plantations so she could wax poetic about how great slavery yes. was. And he would. There is a part of him. Mm, I do kind of understand because in his mind, he's like not paying really any attention to the slavery part. He's just letting this old, old woman Mm -hmm. talk about what's in her heart. And he falls in love with the grandma like he has a familial love for her. She's absolutely racist and ignorant, but he loves her. And he also falls in love with the daughter in a different way, Mm -hmm. Um, a romantic love. And he's like, I could see a life with you. Um, And Josephine is like, well, marrying a black man is worse than death, but I don't have anyone else to marry. And I'm kind of like always dying. So I'll marry you. (laughs) So she um, (laughs) she runs away. Graham lies to all the friends and is like, oh, Josephine. Yes, she's up. Where is she? She went to go get treatment in New York for her sickness. Yeah, because we doing wealthy stuff. And now her doctor is moving to Europe. So we got to move to Europe, you know, so bye. And all the friends is like, girl, if you don't go 
get your um daughter who we know is dead in the bedroom upstairs. <laughs> so friends is like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I know you're lying. Uh-huh. Fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so Josephine gets really sick and writes to her mom and is like, I know I eloped um with a black man, but come see me before I die, please. Josephine got sick. Because she was married and pregnant with a black man's baby and it horrified her that she died inside a little bit every day until she died. So she did kind of fall in love with Hannibal, too. But those racists, that racism was so ingrained into her bones that she was disgusted by herself, by the world. And like she was sick, Alexis. Like she was she was sick (laughs) because she Fine, fine, fine. So Graham, racist grandma, who you'll come to love, lovely racist grandma, she doesn't even think about it. Her daughter has betrayed her in a way that a Southern mother could not dream of a daughter ever betraying you. But uh, when her daughter needs her, it only took a second for her to step on that. It's like she got the letter and was on the train. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so she arrives and she's like, hello, everyone. Southern royalty is here. Where's my daughter? And so the daughter's like, oh, my goodness, racist grandma, you came. Racist but she calls mama. her mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she calls her mom. <laughs> and Hannibal's like, can I get you anything? Ugh. I'll go sleep in the basement if you want, because I know you like that. And she's like, yes, yes, yes. And bring me my uh, mixed breed chi- uh, grandchild. <laughs> and so Graham touches the granddaughter, right? Falls in love with her. Mm. Or she never really, I don't know, has a moment with her. She just loves her. Right? I don't know. She had to grow to love her for sure. Because, did she? Yes, she did because she was, she did come out white like. So that was. A, oh, that helped. Yeah, that helped. But it was still Ooh. gradual. She knew it was with a black <gasps> man. So, yeah. So, Let's Josephine die. Josephine is dead now. So, good thing that racist grandma likes this baby mm-hmm. or tolerates her. I don't know what's going on there. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so then Hannibal, racist grandma, and Corrine Live form together. a family. <laughs> yes. they are whole and family. it's like it, everyone's enjoy, enjoying it, including racist grandma who loves talking about how she hates it. She enjoys it. <laughs> <laughs> and she enjoys talking about how much she hates it. It's weird. They eventually... Um, Oh, there is a part here that I really love because can you explain how they got a house in the Oval? A house in the Oval. Oh, I can explain. Please. So Isaac, who was the doctor, right? Isaac. Yes. So remember Isaac who died in bed with his wife? He had a teacher who was yes. a, a white woman, I think maybe a Mennonite, but this is true too. They came to the South to become school teachers for this new population of um, black Americans who were no longer enslaved and they wanted to teach the children. He, she eventually had to go back up North, but she loved Isaac and wanted him to continue learning. So the family with pain in their heart allowed her to take him when he was about 12 Her family was wealthy, had a home on the Oval. Um, One day, all of her neighbors were like, hey, how are you? You got some tea? Stop bringing that black boy to the um, Oval. Thanks. 
But they, All right, she bye. had been bringing him for years and they was like fed up. It's time to have an intervention. And she loved him. She, like, it, what you gonna tell a woman that love a kid? Stop bringing them? She gonna hate you. And she promptly did. <laughs> she She's promptly. like, okay, <laughs> bye, see you never. And they was like, how come she don't come around anymore? She must be sick. Mm-hmm. Sick of them. So um, <laughs> exactly. she <laughs> she on her deathbed was like, I'm gonna really sick, stick it to him and, and give this house? Did she give it? No, she didn't I, give it. I feel like... Somebody else got the house and and they got it. But they had the house. They had the house. So That's no doubt the there was a line. covenant that at this time because there weren't there weren't the black people weren't there yet. So the white people weren't supposed to sell to the black people, but that that school teacher did sell to a black person. It wasn't to her grown up student who grew up now. It was to um Hannibal and yes. racist grandma. Yes. Two families that didn't even know each other mm-hmm. um, have this connection through the school teacher. So the school teacher was like, you don't want me to bring the little black boy I love anymore? Okay, fine. I'm going to sell this house to a black family. Mm-hmm. So Hannibal buys the home for vacations. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> Hannibal did. Now it's just Kareen, racist grandma, and uh, light, bright, almost white Clark. Okay, that was a lot, you guys. But that's basically like the makeup. Right, Alexis? Am I missing no, anything? No, no, that's the family. You talked about the children. You talked about Lute's, um three wives a little bit, minus that, you know, that part and stuff. So, well, let's get a little bit more into that part in our final part, part four, how it ends. Mm. So... <clears throat> I'm going to spoil the book now for you guys. If that interests you, that world building interested you, please stop listening to our show. I don't even know why y'all listen to the show. We ruin books. <laughs> if you read the book or you like really don't have interest or time to do it, fine. Proceed at your own risk. I'm going to ruin the book. Mm-hmm. So the father, Clark. Clark is like, so happy his youngest daughter is getting married because he's only staying with Kareen until the kids are like out of the house and free from like having to depend on their parents. And then he's going to marry his secretary, Rachel, who reminds him of Sabina. It's been 20 years. Um, also, Liz was on vacation with her dark skinned husband that can barely stand her. The doctor. Uh, excuse me. Not vacation. Uh-huh. Her honeymoon. Oh, no, you're right. She was on her honeymoon and caught her dad with with his his secretary. Mm -hmm. With his, yeah. Or not secretary, like nurse. I think she's a nurse. and She's a nurse. Mm -hmm. The father is like, I cannot wait for Shelby to get married so I can promptly divorce Corinne. In fact, before I even leave the island, I'm going to tell her my plans for a divorce and I'm going to go marry Sabina. I mean, I mean, I mean, Rachel. (laughs) So um, the father receives a letter. From Rachel. And it's like, um, hey, I'm getting married to a friend because I've wasted 20 years of my life on you and I can't take this anymore. And this is garbage and I hate myself. And, you know, I'm not as passionate about him as I am about you, but I don't care about nothing about passion because look what passion got me 20 years of limbo and misery. Bye. By the time you receive this letter, I will be married. Truly a dear job. Mm-hmm. Truly a dear John. And he reads it over and over again, hoping that the words will form some other meaning. I don't want to know if you might change your mind about marrying me. 
I've chosen to change my mind instead. Tomorrow, when you receive this letter, I will be the wife of Jim Logan. Just the two of us before a justice of the peace. I'm sure Jim's name is not on the guest list of your friends or on yours, nor is mine. Shelby's wedding will be totally unaffected. Jim's been a city employee all his working years. When he retires, his pension, which is adequate, comes due. As for me, I am hopeful that some doctor or hospital will find my years of experience worth an interview and that the outcome will be satisfactory. Jim's wife died two years ago. We met years before at bridge parties and became close friends. I rarely spoke of these gatherings to you because your disinterest in them was apparent and understandable. His daughters know me and are fond of me because of my affection for their mother. They are married themselves with young children. Their jobs and their families leave them little time to keep in daily touch with their father and his quiet way of life. When he asked me to marry him, I think it was with their coaxing and maybe their coaching. If they knew about you, they knew I wore no wedding ring and persuaded their father that the risk was worth the try. I will sleep in my own bed, but he will not be unwelcome if or when he asks to come to me. He loved his wife. I can never take her place, nor can he take yours. He misses a wife's companionship. I need a wife's sense of security. I do not regret the years we were together, nor will I ever forget them. I have rewritten this letter three times, and it always comes out the same way. My best to you, Clark. I hope you will wish the same to me. Rachel. In fact, he finds himself in a car reading it late at night. He's reading it on the beach. He's reading it everywhere he goes. It and he's like, reading. wow, huh? And then he storms into Shelby's room and she, he goes, listen, you are marrying a, the first white man that showed you attention. And I have never seen you um, date. Give a, give a black man at any time. The time of day. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because the black man in your life never showed you enough attention. Mm-hmm. Wasn't loving to your mom like you may have hoped he'd be. Maybe I failed as a father. Mm-hmm. So if that's what it's about, I'll help you in this wedding tomorrow. <clears throat> and she's like, oh, I hate my family. No, I'm like marrying for love. And also you can take a long walk off a short cliff, dad. <laughs> And so that breakdown. And now we're like hours from the wedding because this whole book takes place 24 hours from the wedding. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So now we're just hours away. And she's like, thanks, dad, for unloading this on me right now. And she's in tears and she's like, I hate this family. We're so weird. Um, And then Lute wrote her a letter. Somehow his um, maid got it or cook. And then the Coles cook got it and it got to Shelby. Yeah. So this letter is like, girl, you know, I can do for you what that man can't. Something like that. And then her sister is like, maybe you can. <laughs> her sister is like terrible in the advice department. Loves her a lot. Loves her a whole lot. Um, but is like really bad at giving good advice. So she's like, just see what he got to say or whatever. What's it going to hurt? <laughs> Hours from your wedding. 
to the white man that play jazz. Whew. No one can say that, by the way. They're like, why is this happening? But okay, love. Um, so um, Lou is waiting for her on the beach. Idris Elba is waiting on the beach, shirtless for no reason. He ain't in the water. And he like flexing his pecs, left, right, left, right. He's taking in some sun. <laughs> foolishness and then um shelby is like hi and he's like hey girl hey girl hey she's like you wrote me a letter he's like "Mm -hmm." because you know (laughs) and he started laying the game down on her and she thinks about mead which is the name of her fiance like if you want to give him a real like bland name mead is the man's name She's like, I love me in so many ways, but I've never felt like animalistic passion for him. Am I supposed to? <laughs> that seemed to be what everyone in my family um, is battling with. Am I supposed to be like that too? She hadn't seen that in her family at all. No one has that kind of passion for their mate. So why would she look for it in her I mate? mean, her sister does. But her sister her is sister. also only tolerated by her husband. I, I don't, I don't even... believe that. I don't believe that. Yeah. What don't you believe? Please. I don't believe her husband tolerates her. Oh, you think he just don't like her all? No, I, I think he loves her. He don't like her family and he don't want to be involved with uh, her family. His Her family has shown their uh, their um, dislike behind. of his dark skin. <laughs> right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. She, the colorist. Yeah. We got racist grandma in the attic. It's enough. And he said, I'm not even coming to the wedding. Mm -mm. So you think he does love Liz? Yes, I think he loves Liz. I think they have a passionate relationship. He just don't want to be around her family. It's not worth it to go through that for her. It's not. He don't like him. That's my thoughts on that. Okay, I like that. I like thinking like that, actually. Okay, so let's say then her parents don't have passion. No. Um, So Mm -hmm. she's like, what even is passion? And then um, Luke kisses her. And she's like, oh, what do I do? Oh, my goodness. And Luke's like, I'll see you here tomorrow before you wedding. <laughs> and she's like, no, yes. Okay, see you tomorrow. <laughs> well, plans change Oof. in my favorite scene. I don't know how Dorothy West got me to root for this woman, but I am rooting oh. for... Oh, Bella. Oh, my goodness. Della is the third wife that Lute has convinced everyone, including kind of the reader, that he divorced or is in the process of divorcing. Uh-uh-uh. They was fully married when he went to that island. He called her a few days on the island and was like, I want a divorce. I'm never going to see you again. Send me the papers. And she said, who do you think you are? Now, remember, she's well-bred, right? Also, she's racist. because, mm-hmm. um, So she calls him some um, N-words. But... um. Oh, I'm not rooting for her. Um, But she does at least say, you're not going to just divorce me. It's not going to be that easy. I'm coming to see you on the island. And he's like, well, I'll tell your family Mm -hmm. about our secret wedding. And she's like, I'm not going to lose. I'm going to come to the island and you can tell whoever you want, whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And she shows up and he's like, oh, now I got to kill you. The way, the way, the anger, the hatred this man has for women. I mean, the hatred he has for women. I could see him sitting in a chair, seething, seething. And how duplicitous he is because he is seething. But then Tina comes and sits on the stairs and he has a perfectly civil conversation with her. Mm -hmm. And he tells her Shelby will be your mother. And Tina's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
I knew I was getting a mama, but I thought it was the mama next door. And he's like, you know, that woman got her own family. And she, Tina's like, I don't care. I don't know how families work. I want that mama. <laughs> oh, poor baby. So when Della comes and they start physically fighting, Tina runs out of the house to the mama um, next door who she drew a portrait uh, for out of crayon, of course. The mama next door is preparing for the wedding. So she's busy. And she's busy. And she's like, baby, just go to your sisters or to the kids or something. I've definitely told kids this when they had their whole heart in their hand. Mm-hmm. Ah, I, don't, I ain't got time for that. Oh, poor baby. <laughs> and so Tina's like crushed and she just throws like the portrait and um like runs away and throws a rock at a dog. because She's, she's so, so sad mad. and distraught. Because her so favorite she, mommy, her favorite brown mommy with the bosom yeah. just would put her in her bosom. But, you know, So she's found out that mom won't be her mom. And then she goes for comfort and that mom is like me. Mm-hmm. in her mind in her mind so she runs away and she's in tears and um that's when she gets hit by a car driven by loot who is trying to take his current white wife to the airport by force and tina dies in the street like that's the end loot kills tina and then um there is a awesome line here by barbie the oldest daughter And she tells her dad, who she loves, she said, "Um, you know how to make her stop dying. Make her stop dying. Make her stop dying. Don't you love her? Don't you love her? She's my sister. I know it scares her to be dying. I don't know how Mm. to make her stop dying. Oh, daddy, please. You don't like mothers. You make them die. All Tina wanted was a mother and you made her die to make her stop saying it. The guilty must hold. And for the first time since his childhood, Lute cries um shelby walks onto the scene because now a crowd is forming and she goes i'm so happy i'm marrying my white man in an hour y'all crazy and the book is (laughs) 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 so uh that's that right did i miss anything no that's that (laughs) that's that Mm. okay you want to take a break and we'll get into the final verdict okay here we go What did you think of the wedding and would you recommend this book? Yeah, that book was um, very interesting. Uh, lots of characters and they are like filled out with um, nuances and, you know, these characters are just filled with things going on. They are not at a loss for anything. Yeah, the only negligible character is Addie, but she is a great tool to progress the plot. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think she's um, negligible <laughs> because, but she does progress the plot. Because of that, I don't consider her negligible because without her, she's fine. She's Luke got some- would not have gotten at home to sneak in and try to get to Shelby. And, you know, the whole community knew his dirt and they was like, mm. Don't be letting him in here. Yeah, he got three daughters with three different wives. And we don't Why like is he that. here? We don't, he's mm-hmm. not like us. He's not like us yeah. at all. So please let him go. But I understand the idea of um, marrying 
my aunt says this. She said you need to marry, um, marry oh. up. No, <laughs> marry up. No, no. It's it's class. It's the class thing. You know, yeah. recognizing people on your level. You know what mm. I mean? So she says mm. that a lot. So I totally get that um, when they're talking about don't let him come in here because he's not on our level. He don't understand. Wait a second. What are you saying? <laughs> he shouldn't have been allowed in because he was like a, a bad seed coming in. Do you agree in. with that? He was a bad seed coming Even in. Even though he kind of like proved it. He wasn't bad because of his class. He was just a bad man. <laughs> And there were bad men within their class who they allowed to be poisons within their community. That was different. They had their own community in which they had made that up. And that was right for them. You're such a, um, you're classist. <laughs> and that was right for them. Okay. That's why you don't want to hang out with nobody. You don't think nobody worthy of your time and attention. Go ahead. But then, but so the book was interesting. Very interesting. I was like, just taken out by the end of the book I, I I just don't know what to do with that that left me like I, I don't know what to do with that is there more book is there a story to continue that's the story go ahead I, I just was <laughs> left with that and I was like is this it I mean I literally stood up in my apartment and was like is this it where's the rest of it <laughs> tell me more <laughs> so what did you want what did you want to see tell me what you would have wanted i want to know what happened i guess i what know happened what, what happened i guess i with know Della? with Della, with the wedding, with the, and the wedding went on but Della, the baby what happened with loot in his life okay this was it was all very distressing <laughs> okay loot's gonna drink himself to death okay the poor babies. Everybody is yeah. so messed up in this book. It's just, they all messed up. <laughs> they just messed up. And on that note, I would recommend. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I would recommend it to others. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so why would you recommend it? <laughs> so there are pieces in here. I feel like it's. Like, I, that's too much explaining to me. Could we get to the point? But mm. to go back and hear the stories about, like you said, building these communities. What did you call it? World building. World building. Yeah. Like you could have a whole universe set on just these characters. Each character could get his own book. Yeah. His or her own book. Yeah. The way she backs into these stories, like to hear before you know it, you go all the way back to, um, to Isaac and his parents and the parents before. I mean, like it's history in this book. These yeah. people have histories and tales and, and how people's thinking are, um, are, uh, their thinking processes. Informed. Yes. Are created mm -hmm. because of how they've, um, been brought up. And I, I love the way she wrote. I, I enjoyed the way she wrote, even though there's pieces where I feel like she carried them out too long. For the most part, I like to hear her detail these lives. So that. Okay. I so that's why it. you were recommended. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you enjoyed it. I did enjoy it, even though I, 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 I wanted something else to happen. I just. You was like, wait a second. Why are we in 1793? <laughs> I thought I was in 1950 or something. Yes. Yes. That was, that was hard. But, but when you got back there to 1793, you're like, oh, this is a very interesting story. Yeah, it was mm -hmm. it was, you know, just as enthralling as being in 1950. 
where they yeah i incur and just her stories have such modern um today's value i mean like all yeah. this stuff, all these people could live right now outdated. no mm-hmm. all these people could live right now and granted she published it in 1995 but she did start it um years before that it just still it was a i thought it was well-written book and um i i would because i'd like to have a discussion about the characters that's another reason why i i like it because you can talk in depth about these characters and their mental health issues because they all got them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I would recommend the book. How about you, yeah. Kari? Um, I think that this book is, this reminds me a lot of Toni Morrison's writing without the darkness. So Toni Morrison likes to confront the uncomfortable in society, and that includes race relations, that includes uh, relationships between women, um, and, you know, between family members. Um, but Tony's books always leave me solemn and lost in like, I don't know, they're just a little darker. And what I liked about this is I didn't have to mentally prepare myself every time I opened this book. I, I wasn't feeling like, OK, <clears throat> let's go. <laughs> I was able to just get lost in their world and their history. And even the bad parts, I won't. Um, it won't they won't darken my days whereas i've thought of tony's books like days like it's hard to shake a tony morrison book mm-hmm. but the writing is so um exquisite and extraordinary in the same way that dorothy west's writing is very um unique i i've i've never read anyone aside from tony and dorothy that write like this mm. um they put a lot of meaning into one sentence mm-hmm. and that part i read where the girl is like breaking down and telling her dad to stop oh, her from dying so powerful. that mimics how the girl would say you know stop crying stop crying stop her from dying stop her from dying there's everything in this book is done with a purpose mm-hmm. and it's everything you read makes you think of something else else you read within the same story so um i really 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 enjoyed this book i don't know why it took me so long to just read it i started yesterday mm-hmm. and that's what i've been doing today <laughs> um um and i love it i'm ready to like read it again and pull something else out and i like the way it ended because i don't think this book was about the wedding and it's was titled it? the wedding mm-hmm. that's so clever because it's about colorism and it's about love um love and race it- you know, I found it interesting that the cover woman is you think not is? a light skinned woman. It's got to be um, Hannibal's Rachel? mom. Oh, OK. I was thinking Rachel. As somebody who actually got married. Do you think she's in a wedding dress? I say so because it's white. Hmm. Well, you know, I don't know, but I did think that was inter- interesting too. That it's um, not one of the coals on the cover, um, and that drives home the point that this book is about race relations and how that pertain, how that affects love, Colorism. love between familial, familial love and um, romantic love, mm-hmm. um, and how it can destroy it if you let her. At the end of the story, after watching that baby die in the street. Graham finally picks up her darker skinned great grandchild. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is like the period on the story. So racist grandma would not touch the darker skinned grandchild, which is Liz's baby. And she spewed a lot of hateful things about the baby. Um, But 
when you're faced with the idea that that baby could one day not exist, uh, that maybe make some people in a way reorganize their priorities or rearrange their priorities. Racist grandma's going to be racist till she die, which Absolutely. will be tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She don't have long for this earth. Um, but I would definitely recommend this book. Really well done. I want to read more of Dorothy West because this is not her most popular book. Right. Her most popular book is what, Alexis? Uh, oof. It's on the tip of my tongue. It is some, it's a um, familiar expression the living is easy the living living is easy yes yeah so that was published in 48 and the wedding didn't come out until 1995 i remember too a mini series starring halle berry Mm -hmm. produced i think by oprah did you do you remember that no i absolutely don't remember it but i was reading an article and it said read the book first (laughs) okay so you know it was terrible all right All right. So that's that on that. We both recommend it and we both enjoyed it. And that's the wedding. Yeah. So what are we reading next week, Kari? More Than Enough by Elaine Welteroth. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you for listening to Lit Society. We'll look forward to meeting up with you next week, Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by me, Alexis Anaria and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show, on Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us. We love you too. If you've enjoyed what you just heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes this month's book list and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. And until next time, read Read something. something.